Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Bill Werner has the latest on rail crossing safety. Tasha Radel tells us all we need to know about the March Minnesota Food Share campaign. And Mike Grimm sits down for a chat with Dick Jankowski, who's been the PA announcer for Golden Gopher basketball games for the last 30 years. But first... Justice Antonin Nino Scalia was a larger-than-life president on the bench. A brilliant legal mind with an energetic style incisive wit, and colorful opinions. He influenced a generation of judges, lawyers, and students, and profoundly shaped the legal landscape. He will no doubt be remembered as one of the most consequential judges and thinkers to serve on the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia dedicated his life to the cornerstone of our democracy, the rule of law. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The sudden passing of conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia last week at the age of 79 had swift and significant implications in the 2016 presidential race and for President Obama and the current Congress. For his part, the president made it clear almost immediately, I plan to fulfill my constitutional responsibilities to nominate a successor in due time. There will be plenty of time for me to do so and for the Senate to fulfill its responsibility to give that person a fair hearing and a timely vote. These are responsibilities that I take seriously, as should everyone. They're bigger than any one party. They are about our democracy. Republican presidential hopeful Donald Trump weighed in on the matter at the debate in South Carolina. I hope that our Senate is going to be able. This is a tremendous blow to conservatism. It's a tremendous blow, frankly, to our country. I think it's up to Mitch McConnell and everybody else to stop it. It's called delay, delay, delay. At that same debate, Republican Senator Marco Rubio stressed the importance of replacing Scalia with another conservative voice. We need to put people on the bench that understand that the Constitution is not a living and breathing document. It is to be interpreted as originally meant. One name with strong local ties on the short list to replace Scalia, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar. I think Senator Klobuchar would be an excellent uh, selection. I'm, that's, it's out of my realm in terms of you know, the, the considerations and, and the like, uh, but I, you know, I think she'd be outstanding. Klobuchar has said she's more focused on getting a nominee in place for the U.S. Supreme Court than becoming a justice herself. There are a lot of moving parts to this story. I recently spoke with Hamlin political science professor David Schultz about what happens next. The president says he wants to make a selection. Republicans are saying, wait. What, what do you anticipate is going to happen there? Well, first, the, the filling of the Supreme Court nomination with the death of Scalia has made filling that seat probably the single most contentious and most important issue in the 2016 presidential election. I mean, always lurking in the background is the importance of Supreme Court nominees, but this really threw it to the front and center. And, and, and it, this is going to dominate the presidential campaign for quite a while, because with Scalia's death, this potentially changed, changes the political balance of the Supreme Court for the first time in 30 or arguably in 50 years. Um, the court has been a reliable conservative branch at least since the Reagan era. Uh, and I see going forward that if, if Obama nominates and the Senate confirms, this again 
definitely changes the balance of power. And just to underscore how important the Supreme Court has become, almost everybody recognizes the fact that, that in the last generation, it seems, the president and Congress have been gridlocked, unable to get anything done. A byproduct of that gridlock has meant that the Supreme Court now is one of is perhaps the most important player in our political system in terms of resolving disputes. And just looking at this current term, uh, the current term in which Scalia has died, cases that deal with abortion, that deal with Obama's um, um, regulation of greenhouse, gas, greenhouse gases, or his immigration policies, or or um, or a host of other issues that also deal with things such as workers' rights, union rights. These are all major contentious issues in our society, and the Supreme Court was set to decide them. And with a change in justices um, at this point, who knows what's going to happen in terms of how some of those cases will be decided, if at all decided now. Do you think it's a there's a chance that if uh, the president makes his selection that it will it will go through the Senate or are Republicans going to stand in its way? This is going to be a very difficult thing I think for the Republicans to sustain between now and November and that while their initial reaction was they're not going to move on it I think this plays into both the president's and the Democrats sort of argument that Republicans are the party of no, they're the party of gridlock, they're trying to politicize the court, and I think this will be a hard argument um, for them to keep up and say that there's not enough time with essentially 11 months um, to go in Barack Obama's term, um, not enough time to be able to move on a nomination. So not impossible to be able to delay it for, for another year, but I think there may be enormous political liabilities. And with that, I think the Republicans have to start making some calculations, because what if a scenario turns out that come November, the Democrats take back the Senate, which is a possibility, and the Democrats win the presidency, which is also a possibility. What the Republicans would be facing the next year is relatively clear sailing for a President Clinton, a President Sanders, or whomever it may be, to be able to appoint a real liberal to the bench. And that would be even a worse nightmare for the Republicans than what they have now. So they've got to make a series of political calculations and decisions of what what might make the most sense. And I suspect we will see the, the politics of the Supreme Court nomination change over the next few weeks and over the next few months um, as sort of the, the primaries click in and as the politics settle in, perhaps in a different way. And we'll keep a close eye on this ever-evolving story. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov. The official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Even though a big drop in gasoline prices has reduced demand for North Dakota Bakken oil, meaning less oil train traffic across Minnesota, it's fair to assume prices will go back up at some point, and so state and federal lawmakers continue focusing on rail safety. MNN's Bill Werner has been following that issue. Bill, Governor Dayton is asking the legislature, which convenes in a couple weeks, for funding to address rail safety. You are absolutely correct, Scott. There's a pretty big chunk of money, nearly $70 million, in the governor's bonding proposal to build what are termed highway rail grade separations and high traffic points in Moorhead at Prairie Island near Red Wing and in Coon Rapids. What that means is bridges and or underpasses to put railroad tracks and roads on different levels and eliminate the chance of collisions. The governor also wants $5 million to replace warning systems at grade crossings across the state. All this is under consideration as Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway announced this week that it plans to spend $130 million this year on system maintenance and upgrades in Minnesota. We talked with BNSF's Amy McBeth about that. So tell us, uh, this $130 million uh, for the 2016 capital expenditure program that BNSF is going to do in Minnesota, what does that go for? This year's plan in Minnesota is focused on maintenance projects that help us ensure that we continue to operate safely uh, and that our, our network is reliable uh, through the state. And, and that means really our, our continued focus on, on our infrastructure, replacing rail, replacing ties. Uh, we have a very strong safety record, and part of that reason is our, our ongoing investments in our, in our physical infrastructure. So these are things like replacing sections of track that are worn out, uh, as an example, or are there things beyond that then as well? It's really talking about the physical infrastructure and, and the things that make up the track. So uh, there are sections of rail that might need to be relayed, sections of, of railroad ties that have to be replaced. It's an ongoing investment in our physical infrastructure. Railroads are privately invested, so we have to continually, and we want to continually, invest in our infrastructure so that we can continue to be safe and reliable. So um, every year we have a very... Um, strong maintenance program, and this year the focus of our plan is is on that as well. I'm sure you're aware of the debate, at the, uh, the ongoing debate, at, not only at the Minnesota Capitol, but nationally about rail safety in, in light of, well, I think what's what's forcing that debate or what's what's prompting that debate is, is uh, the increased oil train traffic. There are um, uh, proposals out there specifically from Governor Mark Dayton for a, some fairly substantial amount of money in bonding bills, about $70 million to upgrade uh, rail crossings in several Minnesota communities. Is this something that BNSF is, is doing in other areas? When you talk about rail safety, you want to look at, at the actual statistics. And, and the railroad industry is incredibly safe, and we continue to have a strong safety performance. If you look at 2015 and the year before that, 2014, we're continuing to make strong improvements and, and really records in terms of safety. And that's according to the Federal Railroad Administration data. And when it comes to moving of, of crude oil by rail, uh, the industry and BNSF in particular, we've taken several steps uh, over the last couple of years to further reduce risk and improve safety. That includes things like increasing track inspections, uh, stricter operating procedures, uh, speed limits in particular for loaded crude oil trains. Uh, we've advanced and, and worked for a, a tougher tank car. Uh, those are owned by our customers, and we're working to get those on our system sooner and get the older tank cars off quicker. Uh, there's been a number of efforts, uh, the safer route 
routes that, that those hazardous materials travel on. So when you look at what the industry has been doing, it's very significant. The railroad industry in Minnesota invested $500 million last year alone. Those are investments that are private, that go into uh, making railroads safe and strong and serving customers who are Minnesota-based customers. There have been proposals at the legislature and Perhaps there will be again this upcoming session uh, to uh, tax railroads, a surcharge and excise tax uh, to, to fund rail crossing improvements. What would, what would BNSF's stance on that be? Well, when you look at, at grade crossing safety, that's a, an area where our railroad and other railroads have been very active in terms of education and, and outreach to, to the public. And, and again, here, the, the records show, the statistics show that um, safety has continued to improve and the rate of those incidents has gone down over time if we, as we've increased those efforts. BNSF has, has uh, and continues to work with communities where there are grade separation projects. Uh, we fund a small portion of that where most of the, the road, authority, uh, road authority funds the majority of it, but we participate in those projects and um, certainly would do that at um, projects looking, uh, looking ahead. And we've been talking with, with the state on those areas in particular, and we'll continue to do that. But when you look at, at overall uh, what railroads invest in the state, it's a very, very strong, significant investment, and we don't want to do something that would limit that investment and, and take away the investment that they're already making uh, in their infrastructure. That's BNSF's Amy McBeth. And, Scott, as gas prices go up again, which they're almost certain to do when refineries switch over from winter to summer-grade fuel, then the focus on rail safety will likely increase at the legislature and in Congress. That's something we'll all keep a closer eye on this March. Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with a mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by feedthepig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? On getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. 
When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The state's largest food drive is right around the corner. MNN's Tasha Radel previews the upcoming Minnesota Food Share March campaign. Thanks, Scott. Joining me now to explain the history of the March campaign is Suzanne Shatila, director of Minnesota Food Share. The Minnesota Food Share March campaign has been happening since the early 80s. This is actually our 34th year, and it started when a group of congregations came together to restock food shelves in the metro area um, in Minneapolis, and it was so successful that they decided to launch it statewide the following year. At this point, it's grown into the largest grassroots food and fun drive in the state of Minnesota, and um, food shelves all over the state get together and participate and rally people in their local communities to help restock those food shelves. At the same time, uh, we also collect monetary donations, which we then distribute uh, to our partner food shelves all over the state based on how much they were able to raise uh, during the March campaign, as well as how many individuals they serve throughout the year. Have we seen the number of visits to food shelves decline now that the Great Recession is behind us? It just keeps increasing. Um, Even though the recession is over and we have bounced back as a state in many ways, um, large pockets of Minnesotans are not making what they need to make in order to survive. information came out from the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development showing that um, in order for families in the Twin Cities to actually meet their basic needs, parents, both parents in a, four, in a two-parent household would need to make about $21 an hour. And that's just to pay for rent and food and gas in the car or busing, things like that. Um, and so that doesn't leave any room for extras. And and the population in Minnesota just isn't making that um, that amount of money. Um, we have, you know, 60% of households who are not making anywhere near that in this state. And so when families are not able to make ends meet, they turn to food shelves. And because of that, we keep seeing an increase in the number of visits to food shelves. I know there are 300 plus food shelves around Minnesota now. Have these folks been able to keep up with the strong demand? You know, um, some have and some haven't. Uh, We work pretty closely with a food shelf in um, Minneapolis that serves the native community um, for the city and also the West Metro suburbs. And they've had to close their their food shelf a number of days throughout the year because they just haven't been able to um, get the donations that they need in order to keep the doors open. So, you know, the larger food shelves who, um, you know, have large operating budgets have been able to kind of meet those needs. But some of the smaller food shelves are are struggling. And um, it's not just in the metro area. That's a statewide issue. Um, food shelves run on a very tight budget, and, and a lot of the, the staff are actually volunteer staff. And so when money doesn't come in and food donations don't come in, they have very few options. Suzanne, can you explain to our listeners just how important the Minnesota Food Share March campaign really is? 
We um, hear from our partner food shelves all over the state that this is the biggest food and fun drive that they have each year. And last year, the food um, the, the food and fun drive during March brought in about $8 million and 4.7 million pounds of food, and that was statewide. Um, and then we distributed half a million dollars in July uh, to help food shelves buy food um, again in, in the summer when, when um, donations are typically down and there's an increased need because kids are out of school. Um, so this really, this, this makes a difference to many of our food shelf partners and enables them to keep the doors open. Without the March campaign, um, some of the food shelves would have, would have very few options um, and would not be able to keep serving the number of families that they do. They would either have to cut back on the number of families that they're serving or they would have to just close their doors periodically throughout the month. I know you encourage businesses and groups to have a little fun during the March campaign. Yes, we always look for um, participation from community groups and congregations and businesses. Um, We have different events going on uh, throughout the month and also different weeks that we are kind of highlighting um, groups within communities to participate. So we have something called... Um, for example, Cram the Cubicles, where we're asking corporations and small businesses to get involved. We have Pack the Pews, uh, which is when we ask um, our congregations to get together and to line the pews of their churches or synagogues with um, bags of food to be donated to their, their local food shelves. So we always encourage a lot of participation from individuals. Um, many of our food shelf partners are working with the businesses and groups and, you know, Boy Scouts and schools and, and, and different um, community groups in um, their areas to really get uh, the donations that they need in order to keep the doors open. For more information on Minnesota Food Share's March campaign, check with your local food shelf or you can go online to gmcc.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A familiar voice to Minnesota sports fans was honored this week for his longevity. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story of our very own Polish Eagle. Scott, any sports fan who has attended a Golden Gopher men's basketball game at historic Williams Arena over the past 30 years has heard the voice of the barn, Dick Jonkowski. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Williams Arena. Tonight's game featured the University of Illinois, the Fighting Illini, and your University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. John Kowski was honored for his three decades of service at halftime of this week's game against Maryland. The year it was 1986-87, Clem's first year, and uh, I was really fortunate because Paul Gill was the athletic director at the time, and Julie Pearl was 82 years old, and he'd uh, been there 58 years basketball, 60 football, and it got to where he couldn't see to drive at night. And he told Paul, he said, I don't, I just can't keep going to basketball. He said, I've got to give it up. And so Paul, I was doing, I was emceeing a lot of the golf, golf outings, you know, the Williams Fund and so forth. And Paul called me, he said, I, I, sh- I was going to open up the tryouts. And then I thought, you've been pretty loyal to our program. I'm going to give you a first chance. He said, if you and Clem hit it off, he said, the job is yours. And luckily I saw Clem, we started talking NBA trivia and cripe. It was just uh, like we'd <laughs> known each other all our life. So that's really how it started in basketball. And football came uh, a year and a half later when Julie was still doing football in 87, halfway through the 87 season, uh, he developed blood clots in his lungs. And I took over for the remainder of, the, of that season and did 10 years of football. And of course, it'll be my 28th year of baseball coming up. So you uh, certainly have been loyal to the University of Minnesota. Think about as we tape this interview inside this uh, venerable old building, which started in 1928, you and uh, Jules Perrault were the only the only two announcers, right? Uh, public address announcers, basically, that have been inside this building. Absolutely. He was, a, he was a gymnast, and he was in school in 1928 when it opened, and he just started as a gymnast, started doing games. I, don't even, I think he might have had a megaphone to start with. I'm not sure, not even a mic. But, uh, yeah, I came along. So I was a Boy Scout usher both here and at Memorial Stadium, and I used to imitate him all the time, you know, like, Mikhail. You know, he had that great voice. And I'm never thinking I'd ever do this type of thing because my ambition was to be a Major League Baseball player like a lot of kids in, in my era. None of us ever made it, but I did play a little minor league. So then I came home from, I got sent home from Salisbury, North Carolina, and uh, my friend said, geez, you love sports. You've got uh, the knowledge. You're, you could really be pretty good in radio. Why don't you go to Brown Institute in Minneapolis for radio and then specialize in sports? And so I did. Graduated from there and uh, ended up my first job in Ladysmith, Wisconsin in January of 1965. <laughs> and then from then on, it just kind of Shakopee, Newport, a lot of small stations, and a lot of special things that I used to be hired for to do games. And then I started doing the state tournaments, and really, it's really turned into something great. Over the years, most people that come to the barn have a favorite gopher because of the way they played. And you do too, I know, but do you have a favorite gopher or two or five that their names because the way you had to say them for you it's a presentation of names i know you have a handful of names you love to say over the years well my first uh, my fame my favorite name by far is jim shikajansky <laughs> but he's polish first of all because of that i am and but i love saying that name and secondly i had ernest and Zygamasavo, and then of course the kid from shakby that i did in high school jamala bushamala those three names really stand out and the most unusual name i ever had was the guy from wisconsin named duaney duaney <laughs> I thought yeah. it was great, great, great imagination <laughs> for a family. So we've had some crazy names over the years, you know, just funny things. Just from pure basketball, did you have some particular guy or two you just enjoyed watching play here at Williams Arena? Well, before I took, before I was an announcer, my favorite player was Lou Hudson of all time here in uh, Dick Armaker. I was 12 years old, but I loved watching him play. And there's a, there's several others over the years. But since I've been an announcer, I think Bobby Jackson uh, and uh, Jacobson from that great 97 team that everybody forgets about, and I, I always enjoyed Willie Burton. 
to watching him play. Really fun to watch. There were others along the way too. I guess uh, I think Quincy Lewis was fun to watch. Uh, guys along those lines and. Uh, just crazy, crazy guys that you, you really wonder probably why you, uh, certain guys are your favorite player, and sometimes I wonder why I pick him too. But uh, there's guys that stand out. Just even uh, and more recently, Austin Hollins, to be honest, was a guy that I loved to watch play. And the way it turned out, he really led us to the NIT yeah. championship. Now, you do a lot of emceeing uh, all over the country, and you tell a lot of one-liners. I know that uh, Clem enjoyed that. Tubby would always make sure that he, you told him a joke, Tubby Smith, before each game. Yes, he would. It, it turned not to be a ritual until, of course, the, they added that to the signboard that they have now in front, and it was hard for him to lean over and listen, but it didn't matter why. He just liked the quick stuff, you know, like uh, I said, my wife ran away with my best friend, and I sure miss him. <laughs> stuff like that, or right. the one about, of course, like dating a homeless woman, and it's great because you can drop her off anywhere. <laughs> he just cracked up, and he told me he liked it because it really relaxed him just before tip-off. How much longer? I don't know. It's up to them, really. I don't have a. I, I always love to stay, you know, there five years. But I, you know, in this business, as you know, Mike, it's hard to say. They, they want to make a change. There's nothing I can really do about it. I hope they don't. But it could happen because it happens in almost every business. But no, I've enjoyed it. And I, baseball, I have a kind of a long standing thing with John Anderson, where as long as he's around and he and Foreign is here, I have a job. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. But everything has changed around here. And athletic director isn't even. Uh, not, not, we don't know for sure what it's going to be. But I work well with Beth Getz right now and everybody else in the program, so that's been great. But it's nice to know that Richard Patino uh, said some nice things about me, and I really appreciate that. Well, we sure enjoy listening uh, every game here, and uh, thanks so much. Great to see you. Mike, thank you very much. This is Golden Gopher Basketball. That's the Polish Eagle, Dick Jonkowski on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.